Welcome to the Asking Why podcast. Our goal is to get to the root issues of systemic problems using a theological and psychological lens. We hope you enjoy. Putman Restoration is a proud sponsor of the Asking Why podcast. Putman Restoration specializes in commercial disaster services, including water damage, fire, smoke, mold, and storm. Their goal and desire is to get your properties up and running as soon as possible after disaster strikes. Hospitals, schools, hotels, and large municipal buildings, malls, churches, and large commercial properties are their specialty. Manage properties nationwide? No problem. Putman Restoration Services, their clients nationwide. They are strategically partnered with elite restoration companies throughout the U.S. and Canada, giving their clients resources during disasters where normal companies would be tapped out. Trust the professionals at Putman Restoration when disaster strikes. Visit them online at www.putmanrestoration.com or give them a call at 318-453-5029. Welcome to the Asking Why podcast. I'm your host, Clint Davis, and today is episode 104. And as you can hear, I got a little cold, so y'all bear with me as I have a serious radio voice today. Um, normally not this deep, but uh, I'm excited to do it anyway. Um, today we have Mama Margo with Military Murders True Crime Podcast. And so we've made a connection. We have some mutual friends and relationships, and I uh, listened to several of your episodes recently just to kind of check it out. I personally, working with all the trauma that I do, I'm not a, I'm not a true uh, crimes podcaster, but I know millions and millions of people love listening to it. I don't know what's what's up with the ladies really loving listening to all these murders, but uh, lots of women love to listen to it. Dahmer and you know all these other podcasts. Um, but I'm I'm glad to have you, Margot. Um, welcome to the show, and I'm excited to get into kind of who you are and what you do. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So you were former <laughs> military. And yes. tell us, tell us your story a little bit and how did, how did you get into, um, doing podcasting and what do you do and, and give us that back backstory. So I never in a million years would have thought that I'd be a true crime podcaster. It's just not, you know, really what I had envisioned. Um, and, you know, podcasts back in the day were basically non-existent. Um, you were listening to radio and stuff. Right. But I joined the Air, I joined the Air Force um, as a judge advocate. So I went to law school because um, I went to law school because I wanted to help people. Um, and then when I became a lawyer, I realized it was very difficult to help mass amount of people, you know, you were just helping onesies and twosies here mm -hmm. and there. And then working in the military, you never really could um, become uh, an expert. So I was on active duty for 11 years. I did various uh, different roles, military justice wise. And I think it's so crazy because even though I became a military attorney, I never really thought I would be doing uh, lots of crimes or anything like that. I was like, well, there's there's no crimes that happen in the military. And then I got on active duty and I realized sadly that that's not the case. And there was a lot of um, kind of people committing small crimes and then there were big crimes. And as a true, I call myself a true crime junkie, you know, just listening to or watching investigation discovery and, and watching uh, TV shows like Snapped. I realized that there had been so many military cases that we really didn't hear about, mm. you know, even working in the legal office, if there was a murder that had been committed somewhere, it was rare unless you were trying to keep up with military true crime news that you would ever hear about it. And, you know, I was more just a consumer, never really thought too much about it. Um, but, you know, I was always raised to kind of be aware of my surroundings and be careful wherever I was. Mm -hmm. And so being a Jersey girl, I was always watching my surroundings. And then uh, at one point, I got the amazing opportunity to become a special victims counsel, which I used to represent victims of sex assault and court martials. Oh, wow. 
And so I had um, clients of all ages from children to adults. And I think that this is kind of where my mindset changed, where at one point, one of my clients told me, um, I never thought that I would ever have been abused by a person in the military. And so as soon as they said that, it was kind of a constant thing that I kept hearing was, I can't believe this happened to me. And I wasn't quite sure. I was like, is it because the person was so trustworthy? And really the reason why people said this was because of the uniform that they wear. You don't expect military members who, you know, are here to protect and serve to be a perpetrator. And so you kind of tend to, uh, you know, drop your guard, maybe be more trusting. I mean, and you and you were in the military. You know, we don't really travel with our family. Like I'm talking about like the extended family We travel with our you know, core family. But whenever you go somewhere you have to write down uh, who's going to pick up your kid in case of an emergency. Mm-hmm. And you're like, hey, neighbor, I know I just met you, but can you be in my emergency contact? Right. And so you you're, you you create these friendships so quickly. And it was through clients telling me this and then through my own kind of back research that I was like, how can I help more people in my role as an attorney? And I realized that as as a young girl, I was always um, I was always a storyteller. Storytelling is what I like to do when I was in high school, and I wanted to kind of tap into that. So when podcasting became a thing, and then true crime podcast became a thing, I wanted to find my niche. I was like, how can I niche down? Mm-hmm. And I started my podcast, Military Murder. Originally, I will say this. Um, uh, there are still more men in the military than women. And I remember being almost, um, I, I remember being very intimidated by the, by making myself, you know, devoting myself <laughs> into the role of storyteller for this. Yeah. And I had to kind of overcome that. I was like, how can I overcome this? And I think one day I was just like, okay, I mean, there's all these other people who are actually prosecuting these cases and they're not out there telling the stories. So could I do it from kind of like a reporter standpoint or a researcher standpoint? And that's kind of where I went in. Uh, I also wanted to, and I, and we talked about this briefly before we started pressing record or before we pressed record was I wanted to be a neutral I guess, arbiter, a neutral storyteller. So when I first started the podcast, I didn't tell people what my rank was. I didn't tell people that I had even served. I didn't tell people what branch I was in Mm -hmm. because I didn't want to paralyze any particular branch or any particular gender or anything like that. And it really has served me for the amount of time that I've been doing this, which is going on four years here in November. And I've been able to tell so many stories, over 200 stories where family members will reach out to me and um, you know, mo- all of my research is just my own research base. There will be occasional times where I'll reach out to family members to tell me to fill in the gaps. But for the most part, it's all research based because I want to tell the story from uh, a neutral standpoint. But there will be times where family members will reach out to me or victims will reach out to me and they will be like, thank you for sharing this story. We didn't think people would care. Or people will reach out to me and say, um, this happened to me in secret and I never reported it. And I'm very happy that that you are out there telling people to be careful or to remain vigilant. And so, you know, I kind of started it a little bit as a hobby thinking maybe I'll get 10 listeners. And, you know, here we are four years in uh, a few, a few million downloads in, and it's just absolutely amazing. That's awesome. A few million downloads. That's crazy. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's crazy. I mean, that's what you do full time now, right? Is is that what you do mainly? Okay. 
When'd you yes, get, I do that full time. When'd you get out? So I got out in 2021. I was on active duty for 11 years. And I'm going to be honest. When I first joined the military, I was like, I'm doing this for four years. I'm going corporate law. I'm going to go. I'm not going to have any kids. Like, this is what I'm going to do. Right. Clearly, uh, uh, life was a little bit different for me. I did, uh, I did. I did get married in the military. I had two kids at the time. And I was pregnant with my third when I decided to press the eject button. Um, it was almost like it was just very difficult. You know, COVID happened 2020. Uh, then I got pregnant with my third and it was so difficult at the time. I was a, I was part of a dual military couple. Um, I am now since divorced, but in 2021, I was like, yeah, I was like, I'm going to leave. I've been doing the podcast for two years. I'm going to do the full-time mom thing. I'm going to do the full-time podcast thing. And 2022, the podcast to a certain extent, it was weird. It was it was me leaving the military that really propelled my podcast to become even more because I was able to do more um, like promotion. Yeah. I was able to do more like TikToks and Instagram, and I was more willing to to show my face and things. Um, I did transfer to the reserve, so I'm still you know a part of the military, but I'm not doing it full time, active duty every day. Okay, so you're in, in addition it, to the podcast. You're in the reserve still. I am. Mm -hmm. Okay, awesome. So you're doing like one week in a month, two weeks out of the year, all that stuff. Um, so I'm an IMA, which means I just have to do my two weeks a year. And then I have to do an extra two weeks throughout the year. Oh, so one awesome. full month. Awesome. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I didn't realize that. One of my best friends is a National Guard recruiter. And so, you know, I get to hear about all of the ins and outs of that stuff all the time every week. Yes. I, you know, I really don't know how people do the traditional <laughs> guard, traditional reserve with the one weekend a month, plus a regular job. Uh, and then now that I'm a single mom, I'm like, where do people even find, you know, find time or resources? Oh, yeah. I think he, I feel like he's always at drill. He's like, no, it's once a month. And I'm like, no, dude, like you're, it feels like you're always at drill or always at something. And, you know, it's, it's exactly. wild. Um, yeah. Okay. Awesome. Well, what, what really, so when you were in the military, were you JAG? Is that what the position was? What was yes. your, mm -hmm. okay. So, I mean, that had to be pretty wild. Yeah, it was, it, I, I was just talking to someone recently. I was, that I was like, you know, you, you, people don't realize this, but the JAGs or JAGs do so many different, they play so many different roles. And at one point, the more senior you get, the less in the weeds you are. And mm -hmm. you're more like a leader and you're counseling people on different um, subjects, on ethics and things like that. But it is a really amazing role and you can, you can take it in so many different directions, at least in the Air Force, I, I know for sure. But it was, um, it took me everywhere. I, you know, I, I'm going to be, I'm going to be honest with you. When I joined the Air Force as a JAG, I was like, well, no, way I'm going to be deploying. Yeah. I get to my second duty assignment. I had just gotten there. I was a newlywed. I went, I was stationed in California. I got to Germany. I, I no kidding. Must've sat down at my desk. My boss walks in he goes, there comes a time in every young Jag's life. And I was like, I had no idea what he's going to tell me. Yeah. And then he goes, he goes, when you gotta, you gotta take one for the team and deploy. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like I literally just got here, yeah. but you know, I will say this. Um, when I deployed to Afghanistan, I remember uh, being petrified. I was like, what the am I supposed to do here? Like, I, I'm a JAG. Like, yeah. I did do my weapons training and I did all this, but I, I didn't feel like I was, you know, competent to, to fight. But, yeah. you know, you do what you have to do for your country. And I went and I really, it was almost like a perspective change that I really needed. It was like a kick in the butt that I really needed. Um, and I have 
learned from a lot of veterans that they felt the same way when they first got to Afghanistan or whatever other country yeah. they may have been to. But um, I was basically like a little spoiled brat. I went, I remember getting to Germany. That was my second assignment. And I remember feeling some sort of way. I was like kind of, you know, just this American girl. And I was like, oh my God, I can't read anything. I, this is so overwhelming. Like I just felt this overwhelm. And I was like, I really want to go back to the States. And then I got sent to Germany. I got sent to Afghanistan. And I remember when I got to Afghanistan, I was like, Germany's not that bad. Yeah. <laughs> so after I did my tour there um, and, you know, I learned a lot of different things. I got to work with a lot of different branches, the Navy, the Army. Um, I got to really tour the area. And I got back to Germany. It was almost like there was nothing that the world could throw at me that I didn't feel like I could, right. I could take. Because I was like, walk. man, I was like, yeah. Really. And so um, it, it really was an, uh, an opportunity that I needed and I was glad that I got it. Yeah, that's awesome. Where'd you go to Afghanistan? Um, I was mostly in Mazari Sharif, which was the north with the Germans. Okay. And so I spent time there. I spent uh, that was Camp Kunduz, um, which, you know, when you're when you're when you're stationed with the Germans, <laughs> it's like, is it really a deployment anyway? Yeah. Um, but then I was at Phoenix and I was food. in uh-huh yeah and so i mean and i was there for like christmas and thanksgiving and, and it really i mean to a certain extent kind of felt like college but you know and something bad could really happen yeah yeah definitely. Um, college with yeah. mortar rounds and uh you know oh yeah oh yeah yeah now you definitely uh you you know as a christian you tend to um to a certain extent lose your fear of death uh especially when you're at war because i remember um getting to Afghanistan. And I literally just told God, I was like, all right, I'm in your hands. You know, mm -hmm. I was like, if it's my time to go, it's my time to go whenever or wherever I am. And, uh, it, I remember getting to Afghanistan the very first day and there was a, a mortar attack in the middle of the night. And, uh, I slept through it because I, I can actually sleep through just about anything. And I slept through it and I had, you know, I had been traveling for like 48 hours to get there. And, uh, this guy's like knocking on my door. He's like, what are you doing? And I was like, what, what's happening? He's like, get your gear on. We got to go. We got to go. And so we all get there. And, and I was, I remember just being there like, this is, this is crazy. Oh, so yeah. it was definitely an interesting, uh, an interesting experience. And, and I have so much respect for veterans who were out there actually doing the damn thing, you know? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I'll never forget <clears throat> when we, we came in, we were at Bagram and I went no three. So this is right after, I mean, the war oh, really took off. Yep. And so, because I did basic during 9-11, so I'm on the rifle range when the towers got hit. So I'm like, oh, this is a change of plans, right? So then, what, I think eight months later, nine months later, we're going to Afghanistan. I just turned 20, like three days earlier, oh. and uh, we land, you know, C-130, we land, we, and the doors drop. It's pitch black, and this guy walks on, and he pops a chem light and holds it up, and he says, you know, uh, you know, get, get, back to back or chest to back and hold onto your gear and walk in the line. Do not take a, le a step left or right. There's landmines everywhere. You will blow up, you know, follow the chem light. And he just starts walking in the dark. So we get all our stuff on and we're just walking in this line and you're holding somebody in front of you like this. Like, you know, you don't mm -hmm. want to take mm -hmm. a left or right. And then like, I don't remember, we got off the flight line and, you know, went to our places and everything. But a few months later we were, I was back at like the flight line and I realized like the whole thing was concrete. You know, he was just trying to prepare us for what, off the flight line was going to be like right off the gate but you know <laughs> it was wild and mortar rounds yeah i remember one night we were uh 
we were going to, there was like one night that they had like a clamshell and they were doing like some kind of light show within the clamshell for us. It was some cheesy thing. And mm-hmm. all of the guys were walking across the, we were all leaving and walking across this volleyball court. And, uh, you know, we started getting mortar attacks and we all had to just bail and run and go get all our stuff. And yeah, it's just, those are things like I look back and I'm like, I don't know if you feel like this, but it's like, is that a movie? Did that, did that really happen? Am I making that up? You know, like just things in your life that now being a counselor doing podcasts i'm like that seems so crazy yeah like it's almost weird like even just talking about it you're just like i can't believe that was real life yeah mm-hmm. okay so you, you mentioned being a christian so how did your faith kind of play into into all of that and and when did maybe you know your walk with christ get more mature or, or you know tell me that that story or that part of it yeah so it's kind of interesting, right, when you grow up in church, because whenever people ask you that question, you're like, well, I grew up a Christian. And then and then you start to think about it. You're like, yeah, I know, but I did all that other stuff. You know, yeah. <laughs> you think about you think about that play in between where you're like, hey, Jesus, can you forget about that one point in my life where, mm-hmm. you know, um, so I, I grew I grew up Christian and and I will say that I am so thankful uh, for my I grew up with my grandma. My parents had me when they were teenagers and they were, you know, young and crazy. And so I grew up with my grandma and she really raised me up in the church. Uh, But the thing about, uh, I wouldn't say of religion or Christianity or whatever it is, I think there's so much um, religion that can come with it, like religion in the, you have to be so rigid that I remember picking and choosing, like, I don't think that that's accurate. Like, I can wear earrings, like I can wear pants. Like, you know, I can wear, you know, I feel like I grew up in a cult now that I say it like that. But um, I, I kind of took that with me. And so I I would say that my that my that my faith in in God really there has been a few pivotal points in my life where it has really matured. And I would say, um, I would say first, it was when I was when I was in Afghanistan, it was where I, I just felt, you know, I, I was like, well, OK, I got to I got to get my life right. And so that was one of the points where I remember praying a lot and I remember, uh, you know, like God revealing himself to me in certain events that happened where I was like it was it was literally a dream. But even till this day, whenever I come up against like a, a pivotal point in my life, I remember that. And I'm like, OK you know, God's got this, like, I'm fine, you know, (laughs) like, you know, sometimes you do have that voice where you're like, I'm fine, I'm fine. And then you don't feel fine, but you know, you're fine. Like, you know, you're going to be fine. And so um, I remember it was, it was that point. And then, you know, more recently, um, I would say as, uh, as I was transitioning from being um, a military spouse to being now, you know, divorced, I think that was another point where I was like, this is not what I envisioned for right. my life. And, and God, and, and I, and I really had to get real close with God because I needed, I didn't quite understand. You know what I mean? Like I was yeah. like, I don't understand. Uh, but it was through the power of prayer that it was revealed to me that everything happens for a reason. And sometimes we're, sometimes we're asking, we make decisions and then we ask God to co-sign them. We're like, this is what I want to do. And then you make the decision and you're like, Hey God, can you go ahead and sign this for me? <laughs> can you put this in and, your and, will? 
can, yeah, can you go ahead? Can, is this cool? You know, and then, you know, sometimes, you know, God will let you keep falling just like our children do. You know, our children will not listen and they'll keep doing it. And then eventually uh, God is like, all right, you ready for uh, you ready to let me take the wheel? <laughs> yep. And so I have felt that in a lot of different ways. And so now in this new chapter in my life, I feel like every day I'm getting a little bit closer and I'm realizing that it's not um, that it's more of a community versus like you just being a, qu- a Christian in silence. Mm-hmm if that makes sense. Cause oh, I feel 100%. like a lot of times you're like, I'm just going to keep my faith to myself. Like, why do I need to tell people about who I am or what I believe in? Like, I don't want people to think I'm crazy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, in the cult, yeah. in the cult, in the cult. Yes. Yeah. I, uh, I think that that's an interesting thing. I mean, there's a million ways we can go, but <clears throat> I think that is one thing. Like people listen to this, that listen to your podcast, that listen to the true crime, you know, probably lots of people who aren't Christians, I think when they hear stories of you can't wear earrings or you can't have a sip of alcohol or a lot of what it's is legalism, right? It's just this, right. we have to follow the law. We have to do these behaviors to please God so that we can essentially make him happy and atone for, you know, the bad things. And, right. and that's ultimately the old covenant, right? That, that's the entire, in, in the Bible, we have the old Testament and the new Testament. The old Testament is the old covenant. It's the, we we needed sacrifices and burnt offerings because we were sinful and broken and we we had to make up for all these behavior things and also because god's like these things are actually good for you you might not want to murder people you might not want to sleep with other people's wives you might not want to worship things that don't give you anything you might not want to lie and steal and like the things that he's commanding them to do are actually good for them and if they do if they violate those commandments it's gonna go bad Mm -hmm. however they're stuck in this this constant cycle of I need to redeem myself, I need to restore myself, I need to repent and and pay. And so the Western church has really kept a lot of that old mentality, that old covenant, as if your behavior somehow or your good deeds make you right with God. And the reality right. is, right, where to clear that up, it's like, well, the new covenant, the new Testament is the story of Christ and Jesus and how he came to live a perfect life and die a sinner's death and pay for our sins and our suffering mm-hmm. so that we could be atoned for so that our behavior doesn't really matter. And I don't mean that our behavior doesn't matter in the sense that we should be fruitful. We should be loving and patient and kind and gentle and have self-control and have faithfulness and goodness and you know mm-hmm. all these fruits of the spirit. But those behaviors don't set us right with God. We're already set right with God because of what Jesus did. And so I think a lot of people look at religion as rule following, as a lack of fun, as, as restriction, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and rightly so. Look at, look at the world and look at a lot of the religions and look at a lot of the Christians who are so focused on doing the right things, behaving the right way, performing but that's not the gospel. And so right. I think that, you know, I would, I think that's what you figured out and are walking out and trying to, and we all are right. Moment to moment, mm-hmm. day to day. Exactly. No, for, and I think, you know, when, as my children, uh, so when my, so when we lived in uh, Louisiana, my children, uh, they went to a Christian school and it was amazing. Cause they would come home with all these like tidbits of information and they would just speak life into me. And I was like, 
this little tiny four-year-old is just speaking life, you know? And, you know, you just recited the fruit of the spirit. And I think that recently I have been, I was like, oh my gosh, like this is so simple. It is so simple. And I think, you know, with my, right, with my, even with my true crime podcast, I am like, do people realize how simple it is? If you're in a relationship that if you don't want to be with that person, don't kill them. Like literally just walk away. Um, I mean, it is so mind blowing that I am like, do you realize that now you are locked in a box for the rest of your life, sentenced to death, you've ruined so many lives. And so that's really, and people, I I sometimes make light of it um, in a very respectful manner. Uh, But I always make, you know, I'm always like, do people not realize that in this pivotal moment, if you would just breathe and... Think about what you're about to do. Don't do it. And then literally just turn or w- turn around or turn away or think about your consequences. There could be, you know, a, such a better life. You know, mm-hmm. you hear about these people who um, who are just able to turn their life around <clears> without <throat> taking such a such a drastic measure. And, and I, I, right before I got on recording, I'm actually uh, working through a script right now. And it's so frustrating because like i said it's so simple it's so simple you know Uh, keep your hands to yourself and uh don't murder anyone and and life will be good for the most part if it was if it was only that simple right i mean i think that's that's kind of the uh you know as a therapist working with people all day long who you know they present a behavior that is extremely toxic i mean they yell at each other they cheated on each other they're addicted they're depressed they're anxious they the symptom right is we could all look at it and go, just don't do it. You know, there's an old skit where this therapist is like, stop it. You know, and that's kind of the joke is like, they come in, they pay him and he's like, well, stop doing that. You know? And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that, it, if it was only that simple. And the question I think we're constantly having to ask and that Jesus asks of people is, well, why? Right. I mean, the, the title of this is asking why, because it's like, why do people murder? Right. When you really get into the root of it and you look at the true pr- crime and you, you look through it's pain. It's somebody's in so much emotional and spiritual pain um, for so long, for so many reasons that they just snap and do something that on the surface seems like an obvious no, no, (laughs) you know, it's Mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm, obviously mm -hmm. you shouldn't shoot heroin in your arm. You know, obviously you shouldn't murder someone. Obviously you shouldn't rob a bank, but people are so far into the narrative and the lostness and the victimhood and the, and the shame that they're, they're living in a, you know, kind of third dimension of uh, they're not in reality. Right. No, I mean, you're, you're 100% right. Because I mean, we, we, none of us would be here. We'd be like, okay, you need to just stop thinking about that. You know, when you're going through a betrayal, you're going through whatever, it's so easy to say, well, just leave or just walk away or just, <clears throat> but it, I mean, and the power of one prayer um, and the, but the, also the power, like you just said, of, of therapy and people, and I, and I, and I preach therapy, you know, all the time. I'm like, guys, I'm like, it is so important to get someone. And, you know, I feel like the veteran community um, does have a hard time finding, mm-hmm. it, it has to be someone like in your <laughs> whatever your network, your insurance network, and it's going to be someone on base. And you're like, well, I don't really trust. I don't really trust this person. I don't feel like telling them. Well, you're asking the system that's a, that's either harmed you or abused you or neglected you or burned you out. You're asking that system that you don't trust to be the safe place. 
Mm-hmm. And I think that's, and that's changing, right? I think now uh, TRICARE is allowing people to kind of pick their own doctor, pick their own therapist in, in some ways. But for okay, years, good. I mean, that's something that people don't understand is that um, you're asking, you're asking military people who have been abandoned by the system or hurt by the system to trust the system. And that's mm-hmm. the antithesis of anti-therapy. Right. Because the reason therapy is helpful is you have a safe environment. You have a curated environment in which the person is somebody who is there for you, is going to keep your secrets, is going to listen to you, is going to empathize with you. And, <clears throat> you know, it's, it's the same thing with religious trauma. You, you know, people get hurt by their pastor and then people are like, well, just go to church, just pray more, just do this. And it's like, <laughs> well, I, I did do that. And this person hurt me. And now you're asking me to, to go back to the same thing to find healing. And it's, it's very difficult. No, you're right. And I, and thinking about that, I've, I've talked to a lot of people in the military through my podcast or just through my job or just through all my friends that are military and they do, they have a really hard time finding a therapist. Um, and I, and I heard recently, actually people are like, it's really hard to find a therapist post COVID because everyone is seeking help somehow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, and you see these, uh, good or bad, you see better help and you see text therapy and phone call therapy and, and, and all of that stuff. I'm glad we live in a world where there is more access because there's just not enough people helping. Um, but the reality is, is relationships being in the room with somebody, right. Is so important. is so vital because you, it's that connection. It's that, that energy that's shared. It's the empathy. It's the leaning in like those things are mm-hmm. so important for people to find healing. And of course you don't have to have that. You can get good therapy and, and just like this podcast, right? We're having a great conversation. We're connected. There's vulnerability, there's shared experience and that's good. But right. there's so few people out there who are trained, who have trauma training, who are equipped to deal with some of the nuances of the military that are specific to that. And mm-hmm. it's, you know, when I have veterans and see veterans or when like one of my, one of my therapists is a firefighter. And so when he sees first responders or he sees people with trauma, you're not just reading from a book, you know, you're able right. to tell your story a little bit and share that experience. And, and I think that's the difference in sympathy and empathy. And again, it's not that you have to have had brain surgery to do to be a brain surgeon, but it certainly knocks down some walls for vulnerable populations like the military or women or trafficking victims when you have a little bit of experience to that trauma and you've come out the other side and are using it for good because there's hope there that you can literally say like, listen, I don't know your story. I haven't experienced the exact same thing, but here's a little bit of what I've been through. And now look at me. One of my uh, friends in high school died this week and I'm going this afternoon to the wake and then tomorrow to speak at the funeral. And it's okay. It's, It's crazy to think of, um, I always tell my clients not to say it's okay. It's not okay. It sucks, but um, <clears throat> it's going to be okay. But yeah. I was thinking about going back and I'm going to see a bunch of people from high school that I haven't seen in 20 years. And me and this friend went through some rough seasons. You know, we, mm-hmm. we drank, we drugged, we did a bunch of things to survive. Mm-hmm. And yet we were so close for like five years and he was such a life raft for me and, and me for him. And both of us, you know, healed and gotten healthier and have our own businesses. And, you know, it's 25 years ago at this point, maybe mm-hmm. longer. And it's interesting to go back tomorrow and see all these people and, you know, want to give them a message of hope. And, and that message is, yeah, I was a mess 
And in some ways I still am, but look what God can do in spite of our behaviors and in spite of our stuff. A lot of bad can be outweighed by just a little bit of good. You yeah, one hundred percent. It's true, and and you have to you have to be healed to go back to that place, right? A lot. I feel like a lot of people. Uh, I'm you know I'm in the same age where it's like you go back home and you want to fall back to those tendencies that you used to have, and it's the same with the military. I mean, because oh yes. <laughs> You could have been a hot mess. You get and you're like, oh, you're like, oh, you're like a saintly person now. And then all of a sudden your friend is like, hey, all the vets are in town. We're going to get together. You get and you're like, who did I become? Like, what is going on? Who am I? Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So you have to be healed enough uh, to know when you can go back into that situation. Right. And like you said, you know, kind of speak to, hey, this is who I am now. Yeah. What do you think? What about therapy, mental health? Like was really what were some of the pivotal things that you would encourage maybe some veterans that have gotten out or that are still in? What are some things that you can encourage them about that being healthy to do? Uh, Well, first of all, I think there are, I mean, I, I have weekly therapy and sometimes I'm like, I am great. I in my head, I probably don't need therapy anymore. And then literally something will happen the very next day. And it feels like my life is falling apart. And I'm like, Oh my God, I feel like I'm going to die. I can't breathe. Yeah. You see, I said that all in one breath. And then when I see my therapist again, I'm like, they're like, he's like, Oh, how did it go? But, but mind you, then it'll be a couple of days in between. I feel like I'm fine. And then I'll share. I'll be like, I had to take a note. I remembered that this happened and it's, it's good to have someone who, um, you know, you don't want to, you know, I, unfortunately, I feel bad for therapists, by the way, because you have so much people, so many people telling you all the crappy things in their life. Yeah, well, we got to go to therapy. The same, then you have to go to therapy. Exactly. Um, but I feel so bad, like have, having to like, you know, bleed on my family members or on my good friends, like always telling them the same thing. They're probably like, girl, I don't want to hear your story anymore. Like, are you not over this yet? You know, that's how people feel. So it's nice to have someone who is a neutral, uh, kind of a neutral arbiter. They're not really, you know, uh, there's no argument here, but there's a neutral person who you're kind of sharing your life experiences experiences with. You're just like, hey, I woke up and I wanted to have a good day. And then my kid did this and it really just threw me for, you know, threw me for a loop or whatever it is. So I think therapy is so important because there's so many, especially in some especially as a military person. I know everybody has life things, but speaking specifically as a veteran, as a mom, as a business owner, like you have so many different things thrown your way. And sometimes you really are just like, I'm going to go AWOL. Like I'm I'm not going to respond to this email mm-hmm. from the military, even as a reservist. I'm like, I am not going to respond to this email because this is, this is X, Y, Z. It's too much. But you, it's too much. I'm like, I can't do this. I can't do this on top of everything else I have to do. But therapy is so important because it really does bring things into perspective. At the same time, though, I will say this. Um, one of the things that I have found uh, in addition to therapy is building a team, building a team of people that you can rely on, like a core group <clears throat> of of people in your life. And, and hopefully, you know, they, um, they're smart, they're... Um, stable emotionally, you know what I mean? And and you can go to those people for your life things. If you have other things you want to talk about, then you can call your one friend who you know is crazy or whatever it is, but have your core group of people that you kind of go to, you know, um, I'm, I'm pretty blessed that I, a lot of my core, they're a whole bunch of attorneys. So there are situations in my life where I can't lawyer for myself Mm -hmm. because because I'm a mom or because of this situation. So I don't even try. Why would I try to lawyer for myself when I am thinking like, like not a lawyer. I'm thinking like, I am going to destroy you. That's what I'm going to do. (laughs) You know what I mean? And so I have my core group of people that I go to in situations. And what I, what I do, this is what I do personally. And, and, and maybe I'm, maybe I'm a little bit, you know, cuckoo, but I like to take 
people's advice in pieces. Like some people can give really, really good advice on this one topic and then they get off kilter on this other thing. And you're like, well, I don't really think that's a good idea, but I will take this piece and I'll take this piece. And I kind of do this puzzle piece of like, this is how we do it. And that's how you do it in the law, by the way. So as an attorney, you do that. You pick different pieces of this case and this case and this case, and you kind of make your own puzzle piece. And this is how I'm going to be whole, or this is how yeah. I'm going to try. And so that's what's good. And I, and I definitely advise people to have a, a core group of people that they can rely on and know that they can call them if they need. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. In other words, community, right? <laughs> it's like, exactly. That's one exactly. of the biggest problems that I think had been going on forever that COVID really revealed to us was the lack of community and the isolationism that we have as a country and as a church, you know, when you have to go back, you, you we all deal with hard things. And I think as Christians, especially we're supposed to be dealing with hard things. We're supposed to be throughout the week serving and leading and mentoring and pouring into people and, you know, be in the hands and feet, but we need a soft place to come back to. We need those people who can encourage us and direct us and hold us accountable and guide us. And, and we say all these things a lot of times from the platform in church, but then there's really not anything but going home and isolating and watching Netflix and scrolling on our phones and trying to manage our children for the two and a half hours at night where we have them. And then hopefully they go to bed, clean everything up. And then by nine fifteen, right, you're, you're about to pass out because you're like, Oh my gosh, I just spent oh an hour God. trying to put this kid to get down and give him a bath and, you know, start the whole thing again. Right. <laughs> I don't know how old your kids are, but that's my, uh, that's my afternoons. Oh, no. Uh, it, like, li literally, you just explained it to a T. And I just <clears throat> had a moment this morning where I was like, I can't do this. I literally cannot do like put your clothes on. Like, seriously, can you just sit on the toilet and pee? Like, right. and, you know, I think uh, I think as a society, we when we realize that we're not alone. And I think the thing about Christians, about being a Christian and also about giving our testimony is the idea that people know you're not perfect. And sometimes it's scary. Because you're like, oh, I used that curse word that one time on my podcast, or I really think this person deserved the death penalty. And like, I don't care. I'm not Jesus. I can't forgive you for what you've done. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, and you and you kind of feel this sense of, um, am I a good Christian? Mm -hmm. Like, am I a good enough Christian that I could put myself out there as a Christian? Because everyone's going to judge me. But I think, and I think we're moving towards a society where people realize no one's perfect, mm -hmm. and the minute you 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 do you show that vulnerability people are like oh crap she's a good mom like yeah she had a bad moment this day this today but she's a good mom or and she's a good christian or whatever it is you know what i mean yeah i think well what i think is is that we people are begging for authenticity mm -hmm. which goes back to what we talked about earlier is you know authenticity it means safety you know and so the reason therapy works is that it's safe because it's authentic to a degree I think it's the same reason why therapy doesn't work, though. I think there are a lot of clinicians and people who have been trained to be a blank slate and that therapy is just this kind of clinical neutral thing that's just for the client. And what, what I hear from a lot of people is that's why they don't like it, is that it feels you go in, you don't know your therapist, they never share anything, they're very neutral, they mm-hmm, how do you feel about that? Mm, that's tough. <laughs> What oh, do you yeah. think you uh -huh. should do about that? And then, you know, you do that for 50 minutes and then you leave and it's not unhelpful, right? It's not totally unhelpful. And, and, and again, if that's how people want to do their practice, by all means do it. But for me, what I hear from clients is 
oh man, I, I want, I want to have something, you know, I want a conversation. I want to be challenged. Mm-hmm. I want to be directed. I'm here cause I have no clue what I'm doing and I need you to tell me what's healthy and what's, what's good and what's right. And, and that, especially from a Christian perspective, people want guidance and want to be shepherded and want to have a relationship. And yes, obviously it's a different relationship than you would have with a pastor or a friend or whatever. But mm-hmm. I think authenticity is the missing piece. And so I think we live in a world where people have so much trauma and have been exposed to so many things and so much inauthenticity that they're yearning for connection and authentic connection. And so they're in it's, it, but it's the polarity, man. It's like on one hand we got cancel culture where you can't have any mess ups and you can't have any screw ups and you're going to, or you're going to get canceled. And then you have the other side where most people are desperate to go just be honest and be vulnerable and be who you are. And I'll be, I'll accept you. And it's those two worlds right. are colliding because it's like, that's not necessarily true. You want that, but you also will, you know, crucify me if I don't do it all exactly how you think right is. And so I think that's a pressure cooker for a lot of us. It really is. You know, I found, um, I don't know if I can say in the name of another podcast, but in my um, in my recent season, I found a podcast by the name of Real Talk Kim, and she's a pastor. And um, she has gone through some stuff and she she talks about like doing drugs and like sitting on her mom's couch and her mom like testifying to her while she's like high and it's i think it's that authenticity that really draws me to her i mean clearly she's saying do not live that life but there is life after a situation like this she talks about getting getting up after you have fallen and uh, i think that in hers, she actually did a sermon recently where she said, um, some of y'all can pull up some old videos of me in the club. She goes, I'll be the first one to post it and show, yes, that is who I was. That is who I used to be, but now I am this new person. Yeah. So I think it's one of those things of, I'm not sure if it's considered getting ahead of it or just taking it for what it is, but you have to realize that once something comes out, if, you, uh, if you're just honest and, and that's one of the biggest things, you know, they, t- um, when you talk about the armor of God, the first thing is the belt of truth. And in just being honest, uh, there is so much freedom. Oh yeah. Because you know? they can nail you to the wall. You know I mean? It, I, I, t- I think I've said this on the podcast before, but <clears throat> I try to live, live a life of radical honesty with the people that are safe for me and that are close to me. So that if something came out, those five to 10 people would be like, Oh yeah, we talk about that all the time. You know, if one of mm-hmm. my flaws or mistakes or something popped off, they wouldn't be like, oh, I've never heard Clint cuss. And so he cussed on the podcast and now, oh my <laughs> gosh. Or, you know, I'm having a glass of wine and somebody's like, what? Like he pretended as if he never drank and he spoke against alcohol and condemned everybody for it. But then he's having a glass. That's the stuff that drives people crazy. That's yes. the hypocrisy of like, it's not just be like, it's not claiming Christ and then being imperfect. Like, of course we're all hypocrites that way. What's really toxic is speaking out against things all the time and then acting as if you never struggle with it or it's not also a thing that you have to battle, you know? And I think mm-hmm. that's, that's the inauthenticity that Christianity or the, the allure of religious Christianity in the Western America, you know, Western church has been, such a problem because it's a lot of don't do this. And if you find Jesus, you never will want to. And then bam, you know, some pastor gets called out for this or some youth pastor does this and Uh yeah, it's a mess. 
exactly no it's true all right let's get to the uh in the little time we got left let's talk about um maybe just the podcast in general and the true crime thing and and what is it that that really um for our listeners that that love your show what are some things maybe you want them to know about it kind of the behind the scenes um the aspects of it i'd love to hear more about that you know i think Every podcast is different. You can listen to a, 10 different true crime podcasts and everybody tells their the stories differently. And so for me, it's, um, it, you know, when you listen to my show, someone will die. Like there, that's just, you know, I, yeah, I, I, I did the that train, for a reason. I was listening to the train track one earlier. Yes, yes, yes. So someone will die um, in in an episode and it's 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 tragic. Um, I think what what in telling the stories, what I want people to pick up on um, is really the red flags that mm -hmm. we all tend to ignore. I mean, listen, I will put myself as a leader of ignoring red flags. <laughs> you know, I thought, you know, I, is that a red flag or are we going to the circus? Which which one is it? You yeah. know what I mean? Um, and so I think uh, most of my stories, as if you listen to all 200, they all have little things here and there where you can pick up if you're in an unhealthy or in a toxic relationship, let's say, for example, um, or a toxic. It doesn't have a relationship doesn't just have to be um, a husband and a spouse. Uh, it doesn't have to be spouses. It could be a good friend or, you know, someone that you met on Facebook Marketplace and you're going to meet them for an exchange of baby clothes or whatever it is. Yeah. But it's one of those things where you just have to, once you know enough and you hear the same thing, you're like, something isn't right. Mm -hmm. And so my goal is literally for people to listen to the show and be able to, one, protect themselves, but then two, protect other people. And the thing with military culture, and it's not just military culture, it's, it could be college culture, it could be whatever, sure. is that a lot of people say things, and maybe you could speak to this because I'm interested in this. A lot of people speak things in joking manner, <clears throat> in a joking manner. Mm -hmm. And you're like, oh, that's so funny. And then they do the thing that they said, which isn't funny, is actually illegal, and you will go to jail for a very long time. And then, and then you're like, oh, crap, they said this so many times, and I didn't pick up on it because I just thought it was a joke. Yep. But if, you, if people actually start paying attention to what people are saying, and they say it enough times that you're like, let me call this person out for their BS, basically. Uh, one of the things that I see in a lot of the cases I cover also is that people will say this jokingly to a lot of different people. They will literally say, I want to hire a hitman to kill my wife. Like they will say that in a group of five people. And then the five people will be like, oh, that's so funny. And then the person will say it again in a couple of weeks. And the people will be like, oh, that's so funny. And then the person ends up dead. And the people are like, oh, I should have said something or I should have. Mm -hmm told discourage them to do that that's good so i think i think that's like my big my big takeaway is just to a certain extent and i know you said sometimes common sense isn't common but sometimes the more you harp on common sense the more that you will kind of be like okay you know i cover recently just fyi i covered recently a a, a very recent attempted murder case where the person i don't think the this person the coffee had machine? listened the coffee machine yeah, one. yeah. i mean this guy was so smart to basically not ignore the red flags. Yep. Anybody else would have not said anything. And I think, like I said in my little episode, you know, if he would have continued living there, the, the wife could have just right, tell taken that, a gun. Let's, let's do this. Can you just tell tell that story a little bit? Let's let's do a little of the true crime on here. 
Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, it's a, it's actually a breaking case. I started this new segment on my podcast called Breaking News. It's they're like ten minutes or, or less where I just take a, a, like a new news story and I tell it on the podcast. Of course, I will I will say all uh, all all perpetrators are innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. So let's just say she's innocent. But this is what we have, right? Yeah. Um, so there was this this airman in Germany who he was separated from his wife, but they were still living together, which, by the way, is very common. And I would advise people to not if you can afford to not live with that person, don't because you never know. But they continued to live together and she continued to make his coffee in the morning. And so by make his coffee, she would just I'm assuming it's a Keurig and she would pour the water into the you know reservoir. And then in the morning he would put his cup in, press the coffee button and it would come out. At one point, he he says he. His, his coffee tasted funny. He was like, this doesn't taste right. I'm not sure what it tasted like, but I, I knew he he thought it didn't taste right. So instead of continuing to drink it, he went and bought some testing strips and tested the water in his house. The water was fine. When he put the water, the testing strip in the water reservoir, it was high levels of chlorine. Mm -hmm. So at that point, he was like, well, she's the one that makes it. So she must be trying to kill me. So he puts up cameras around the house. And sure enough, he sees that she's pouring something in there. Now, they're in the process of moving from Germany to the U.S. He doesn't want to. Re it's this whole legal jurisdiction thing. So he waits till they get back to the U.S. They're they're living in temporary lodging. He sets up his camera. He's pretending to drink it, by the way. Mm -hmm. So she's thinking that that maybe she's got him. Yep. Uh, and uh, she he continues to pretend he's drinking it. He puts up the cameras. He ends up reporting her the police. Now, mind you, a lot of people don't they will they will make it seem like male victims of domestic violence are making it all up. It's the same for women um, victims of domestic violence. But in this particular case, the police were like, well, you know, they're not investigating it. So he's like, OK, so you want to know what she's actually putting in it. He goes back. He puts up more cameras in his house. Now, he's really smart because he's not putting up a security camera. He's putting them up in like the fire extinguisher. So she can't she doesn't know that it's in there. Mm -hmm. And she and he catches her in the laundry room pouring bleach into a little container, taking it to the kitchen and then pouring it into his coffee machine. He takes it to the cops and she eventually gets arrested for attempted murder, domestic violence, um, and also poisoning. Mm. And so she's still, she's still in jail right now. Um, and there's, you know, whether she's going to get bail or not, she's a flight risk because she's originally from the, from the Philippines. And so this airman really did save his own life he like solved his own case yeah now I, i'm not going to say he listens to my podcast but i am saying that this is what i hope people will do it's good i like that you I, like, know that I like that it's you know from your perspective you know you're not just because i think one of the things um people think of when it's like these kind of things is um Oh, well, you're just, you know, capitalizing off of someone's murder or off mm -hmm. of their death or whatever but the reality is you're trying to these things have happened and especially in the military, I think it's hyper, hyper protected. And I know you and I would both, I mean, you're still in the military. I'm still, you know, friends with tons of people, love the military, but it's just like any other population of people. There's good and bad people. And exactly. there's a lot of a lack of support, a lack of mental health support. And so you're going to have things that happen. And I think that, that, process of us going well military people are heroes and there's you know the greatest thing you can do is lay your life down for a friend scripture says so they lay their lives down they're so honorable they're so amazing they're so loyal they're so trained as if that means they don't have severe mental health problems and relational problems and family trauma and all this mm -hmm. stuff um they do so i think with what you do for people who like to listen to it you know those type of stories and hearing how it happens it can paint a picture 
yes, specifically for the military. I think you're you're the only one who's doing what you're doing, which is crazy. I mean, out of all mm-hmm. the podcasts and all the things, you're the only military true crime podcast. Mm-hmm. So I would say yes. you're the number one in the world. Um, <laughs> you might not say that. I'll take it. I'll right, take right. it. It's like people say, you know, you're a good therapist. I'm like, oh, I'm one of the only male therapists you can find. So maybe I'm not that great. Um, you know, it's the reality is, is that you're doing something that is a ministry, I think. I mean, that is giving back to these people. They're, you're getting their voices heard. You're having their stories told. And then a byproduct of that is people, whether in the military or not, are able to look in their life and go, huh. What's going on? And listen, I would love to be in a world where what we're talking about is so rare and insane. And this is such a small population of people. But the reality is, is the large majority of the people that have relationships are in toxic relationships, right? And it's not like a there's this small population of unhealthy people and the rest of us are just, you know, riding high. Like it, that's not the case. And so I think it's awesome that you're putting this stuff out and that people can listen to it and go, Okay, this is entertaining. It's exciting. It's crazy, but also, man, there's some there's some things I can I can pull out of it. Yeah, I'm going to give one more example because Please, I n- I've never given this example before, <clears throat> and I'll say this is oh, a good. close family friend. Uh, so I have a close family friend who's a Marine, and he was married to someone who was, um, you know, kind of unfaithful. The other person was unfaithful, and they were going through a divorce. And just like in this other case, they decided to continue to live in the same house. It's a, I mean, apartment. It's like a two bedroom. And I remember this person telling me, and they it was like a year, like they had been separated for a very long time. And then all of a sudden, this person shared with me that um, they weren't, he, this person was no longer in the Marines, but they shared with me that um, they had recently purchased a weapon. Mm. And I was like, okay, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of a gun nut too. So I was like, okay. But then it was other things about the situation, like, oh, um, this person came home with a, with with a new lover and they weren't divorced yet this person came home with a new lover and and i chased down the car and i remember telling and this person had an intention to move like cross country and i told this person literally these were my words close family friend i said please do not kill this person please do not ever during an argument take out your gun and display it even if it's not loaded Mm -hmm. i don't care do not chase anyone down the street do not say i have a gun do not say i'm gonna put a cap in your uh, you know, like, do not do this. And I remember um, another close family friend uh, calling me and being very upset that I had told this person not to kill someone. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't know why you're mad at me. Like, I, that, that I, I was seems just, obvious, right? <laughs> it seems obvious. I mean, don't murder. But I got <clears throat> scolded. You know, basically, they were like, oh, you think everything's true crime? And I was like, OK, whatever. Months later, the the person does end up moving and I discover all this other toxic stuff that this person was doing. And and that person actually said, like, like, even though I laughed at you when you told me that it really was kind of like a light bulb. Mm -hmm. Not that they had ever intended to do something like that, but it was almost like they were like, I need to remove myself from this situation because it could be a possibility. Yeah. And so, yeah, keep going. No, I was just going to say, like, that is the type of stuff that I want people to be bold enough to say. You know, I got scolded and I was like, don't say, you know, don't say those types of things. Like, why would you put that out into the universe? And I was like, well, I'd rather speak to them before they did anything crazy versus speaking, uh, speaking to them or about them at their sentencing hearing. Absolutely. And I think what I was going to interrupt you with, sorry, um, was I got excited. Was that such a theme (laughs) for so many things in life, whether it's, uh, pornography or child abuse or um 
letting your kid be on social media or a marriage issue with money. One of the things that should be a principle to our life is people having access to speaking into our life when they see there's a problem and us not being so offended by it, but we're so offendable, you know, like people getting mad that you give a suggestion that could lead to something and saying, well, you just see this everywhere. I've heard this a lot. I speak all over the country or world now on, you know, abuse prevention and sexual abuse prevention and, um, got a book coming out on it in November. And, and so, you know, those are things that I've heard from people over the last, you know, probably five years ago, especially when I started going to churches and schools and organizations to talk on it, people would say things like, well, you're just, you're a therapist. And so you just see this all day. You just see the Mm -hmm. worst cases. And so you just think everything is you're, 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 you know, finding boogeymen in all the closets. And, and in the beginning, I was like, is that what I'm doing? Like, am I making this up? Like, do I just, it's not everybody. It just happens to be everybody who comes in my office. Right. And it's like, well, no, because everybody who comes in my office is a, is a swath of all culture. It's different ethnicities. It's different ages, it's different socioeconomic statuses. And these themes are all there in all of these sessions and all of these moments. And even more so when you just ask a couple of questions, you know? So it's like, Mm -hmm it's the same thing. You, you were afraid to speak truth in each other's lives, to ask hard questions, to mention something, you know, this month is suicide awareness month. And people are afraid to say, Hey, have you, are you thinking about killing yourself? Like you seem really depressed. You've sold your stuff. I don't see you anymore. You're isolated. You're talking about, man, I don't want to be here anymore. Um, have you ever thought about killing yourself? Are you thinking about killing yourself? that actually reduces the likelihood of it happening. But people mm-hmm. think, well, if I put it in their head, they're going to do it. Mm-hmm. You know? Oh, if I tell my 14 year old about sex, that's going to make them want to have sex. If I tell my 12 year old that pornography exists on the internet, they're going to go look at pornography. If I mention to my friend, don't shoot your partner that you live with, who's bringing home other lovers. Like it's not that far of a stretch here. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it just brought all that up for me when you said that, cause it's so true. And I think we, we have to speak in truth and grace at the same time with people. You can't just go in and, and blast somebody, but you also can't just sit around letting everybody do whatever it is they're wanting to do. You see the red flags, you see what could be a risk and whether it's a 1% risk or a 5% risk, you choose to go, eh, I'm not going to say anything because that's a hard conversation. And then right, somebody's murdered and they're on your true crime podcast and everybody, exactly. everybody in their family's going, I wish somebody would have said something. I wish I would have called that out. I wish I'd have asked this and that. Exactly. No, 100 percent. And there and there have been a lot of cases that I have covered where in sentencing um, the person or even in a confession during an interview, a person will say, well, I told so many people I figured someone would tell me if I was out of line. And unfortunately, there are a lot of child childish personalities, Mm -hmm. you know, that tend to a lot of people join the military, you know, at the age of 18, immature, 18 years old, and, and and they only stay in for four or five years, and they don't, they never really um, leave that that mentality. And, and, and the military culture is so people are going to tell me what to do. So if if I told someone I'm going to do something, and they don't tell me it's wrong, then I guess I might be right. Yep. Yeah, when you're so encapsulated in that mentality, like, sometimes when I get really stressed out, I miss Afghanistan. Like I miss, um, knowing I'm going to wear the same thing every day, Uh knowing what my orders are and that they're clear ish. 
uh, knowing that I'm going to, like, I can't go anywhere. I don't have a choice. I'm mm-hmm. going to go to sleep at the same time. I'm going to get up at the same time. Somebody has prepared all my meals or I have an MRE in front of me. Like there's so many things about that time that's so easy and so simple and so spoon fed to you as a human being. Um, and that sometimes when I get overwhelmed, those are the things that I miss about the military, miss about <laughs> deployment. But right, it's so easy to forget about what all comes with that and the rest of that that's not fun, whether it's mortar rounds or getting shot at or, you know, just being away from America and, and being dirty and, you know, all the things. Um, and for everybody, obviously, it's on a spectrum, excuse me, on a spectrum, there's so many more, there's people who suffer with so many more uh, levels of that, whether it's special forces or, you know, whatever. But no matter what, whoever's in the military, you know, we have to keep that perspective that it's it's so hard when you're in the middle of it to look at things and go and, and with rose colored glasses and go, man, oh, that was all great. That was amazing. I want to go back there and then forget all the, the tough stuff that comes with it. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's the same thing with with everything, right? With relationships mm-hmm. or uh, bad childhoods. You're like, oh, it wasn't so bad. And then you remember like living in that moment and being like, I just want to be 18 and not be here anymore. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I just yeah. want to go far, far away. But then you're like, it wasn't so bad, was it? And then you start to just wonder. Uh, and it is the same way with the military. And that's why veterans, like veterans really need to, I want to plug this again, veterans really do need to realize that that transition from active duty or whatever to civilian um, is much hard. It's it's much harder than anyone can ever prepare you for. Mm-hmm. Even myself wanting. I mean, I basically like I told you, I got in, and from like day one, I've been saying I'm going to get out. I'm going to get out. I'm still in. Right. I'm still reservist. Like, <laughs> but you know, from day one, I was like, I'm going to get out. I'm going to get out. I'm going to get out. And then when I transitioned from active duty to civilian, I felt so lost. Like I literally yeah. felt like I was falling. It was weird. Well, it's such a strange dynamic. You know, we could talk about this for hours, but it's such a dynamic of like you have such purpose and meaning and people are like oh we love you and thank you for your service and you know all this kind of stuff and then you transition and you might be like an e8 and have all this power and authority and you know whatever or or, you know captain or major or whatever and you get out and you start a career somewhere and nobody cares nobody cares nobody cares i mean people are like what like what is that even (laughs) right they don't care that you were a major that's you know they think that might that they're like you know, cool story, bro. But other than that, like it's not giving you, it's not really giving you any equity in your business or in your relationships or in some cases it does, but for the large majority of us, it's, that's not the case, you know? No, 100%. It's so, tr- and you're right. I was thinking, I was like, if you ever, if you ever want to chat about that, we could chat about that forever. Right. Cause living in transition is like a military motto. Yeah. You have to, I, you're always living in transition. Absolutely. I would love to have you come back on maybe six months and uh, just talk through being a, a woman, being a minority, be, being these things in the military, and then maybe that transition in and out and just do a podcast just on that outside of the true crime stuff. Um, yeah. I would love, I mean, you're great. Uh, I think you have such good energy. Um, you're obviously a beautiful, beautiful person inside and out. And so um, I'm glad we got connected. I really appreciate your time today and coming in, just sharing your story and sharing about your podcast. I hope, you know, our listeners will go check out some of your episodes and uh, see if they like it and, and listen to it and learn, you know, how to protect themselves, look at red flags um, and just be entertained. Uh, Cause I think you're doing a great job and the episodes I listened to were awesome and engaging and, uh, so I really appreciate your time and anything I can do to help you. I mean, I know we're connected with a few people, so, Anything I can do to help you, um, let me know. 
Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And it's and it is uh, it was such a pleasure to just be able to talk kind of um, in a in a different environment because my podcast my podcast is so structured like it's so like I you know I structure it so differently but it's it's nice to chat and I really do like people to realize that sometimes they they look at people influencers micro influencers and they're like oh they live the perfect life and it's like I I go to counseling sometimes I feel like I'm failing every day I feel like I'm failing you know um, and right. I have to remind myself you know I I am a I am a daughter of Christ and I and I'm not failing so long as I get back up and you know, I think that's the number one thing for people to remember that's awesome yeah I think you know people would die to have three million downloads you know and they think that if they can achieve that and get to that perspective or 50 million down or whatever they they measure themselves by and they think well if i finally reach that and get that i'll feel fine and i love these conversations because that's the vulnerability of you know boasting in our weaknesses scripture says is like it's not it's not this self-flagellation of like oh, i'm terrible it's man i am weak and you know whether i have three million viewers or listeners or whatever a hundred my identity is not in that stuff, right? It's in who Christ exactly. says that I am. And I'm going to fail. I'm going to screw up. But the reality is your worth and value and your security in him doesn't change. And so I just encourage you with that. Just keep remembering that. Keep walking in that. I'm proud of you for doing the work. You know, it's really tough to do therapy, even though, it. you know, I go and I love it and obviously do it every day with people. You know, I'm like, I don't want to go today. I don't want to be vulnerable about this. I don't want to share about this dumb thing that I did. I don't want to be, I don't want to express my feelings. You know, sometimes I go in and I want to, but sometimes I'm like, ugh. every time afterwards, I'm like, I'm so glad that I did. Right. I'm, that was so helpful. Um, so impactful. And it, it, you know, paves the way for the rest of the week. So I hope this episode for you guys listening does that. It's encouraging. It, it lets you see that whatever you do, um, do it to your fullest right? Do it to have purpose, have meaning. If, if you hang sheetrock, if you're a podcaster, if you're a pastor, if you're a teacher, you know, whatever you do, you know, you have so much influence over the people that you're around and that you're engaged with and find a way this week to make a difference. Find a way to go, how can I use my job and my work to move the kingdom forward and whatever it is scripture says that you're looking for if it's done in that way and in that will it's going to be added to you so thank you all for listening god bless you and have a good week